0: Like my father, even when I'm scared, and when someone's in trouble, I'll never leave them there. And I love like my mother,
1: like there's nothing to lose. You are my own son. Well, good morning, everyone. And us morning, good to see you all. Uh, come on, make your way in and find your seats. Uh, it's good to see. So many people taking advantage of our coffee fellowship and breakfast. That's a great reminder. Uh, we have that uh, at 9:45 available to you every Sunday morning, and just another way to enjoy some added fellowship and uh, some nourishment. Of course, get your second cup of coffee in. So uh, please take advantage of that and uh, enjoy some extra uh, worship and uh, fellowship with your friends and family. And uh, remember that after our service today, we do have our fellowship lunch, so we have some more time for that, and that is uh, open to everybody, so you're welcome to stay. Uh, before we, uh, we enter into a time of worship through song, which we love to do here at Trinity, uh, my wife Claudia and I wanted to just spend a few minutes just sharing from our hearts um, a word of thank you and a word of appreciation for all that you as our church family have done. You know, I mentioned last week, for those of you that were here or or tuned in online, that, um, you know, I had taken a three-month leave of absence for April, May, and June to help care for my father, uh, who had uh, been in a rehab and hospital for almost two months. And uh, the goal was to have him uh, be independent and stay home, but unfortunately, um, he's doing so much better. But unfortunately, um, could not reach that point, and so we were blessed to be able to have him move up to the New Jersey Firemen's Home, which is up in Booton, New Jersey. For my dad was uh, a 30-year veteran of the Newark Fire Department. He served from 1963 to 1993. And as you can imagine, had many amazing experiences that he would love to tell you about the next time you get to see him. Um, But uh, we have uh, moved him into that home and helped him get settled just last uh, week, last Thursday, a few days ago, actually. And uh, part of that um, leave of absence for those three months meant that my wife, Claudia, would stay home on Sunday morning so that I could come here, and she would look after my dad, and they would tune in online and watch our service every Sunday together. In the living room, they'd sit by the fireplace and have their coffee and watch the service, and what a beautiful ministry that was. But of course, one of the big sacrifices uh, for Claudia was that she didn't get to be here on Sundays with all of you. And so, this is Claudia's first Sunday back, and I can't tell you how pleased and thankful I am <laughs> to have her back uh, with us. And she was so excited. And so, I wanted to give uh, Claudia an opportunity to just uh, share a few words from her heart about what the Lord's been doing in her life and um, to just say a word of thank you as well. So, Claudia, would you do that for us? Sure.
2: Though? Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you all. Good morning, good morning, um, thrilled to be back. And um, as Keith was saying, you know, I was uh, dad's IT support um, during these last couple months. So I did already receive a call this morning because he was online trying to figure out how to get the service. And so um, he wishes he could be here with you all. And um, But he is starting to settle in and it'll take some time for sure. Uh, one of the things I just wanted to share is that Um, You know, during this time of just, you know, um, real challenge for us with uh, Caring for Dad, um, what became clear is the importance of community and the idea that God created community so that when we're struggling, when things are hard, we have people that can speak life into us, that can remind us of the truth of Scripture, that can just say hey we're thinking of you we're praying for you because we're not meant to do this life alone and that's the thing that god has really been driving home you know and sometimes it's a text sometimes you know it's it's a visit sometimes it's, you know, just a call or a note, you know, to say, hey, we're thinking of you, but wow, like that just makes such a difference. And so we are truly, truly um, humbled and thankful that God has um, allowed us this time, you know, to care for, for dad and and to just see how you guys have all loved him, too. And so he just couldn't say enough good things about the Trinity family, and uh, even to the nurses, he was just meeting at the, at, the, at the new place, you know, and so it just speaks volumes, and so thank you so much, and uh, just remember that, and and just, and another thing that just became clear to me these last few months is that, you know, everybody's going through something, you know, yes, we've all, as a, you know, society gone through a lot of turmoil and a lot of difficulty over these last few years, but besides that, everyone individually is going through their own things. And so give each other grace, you know, give each other love, give each other encouragement. Remember that we don't always know the burdens that everyone else is carrying. And just, just be encouraging and, and speak the truth to people, you know, the truth that, you, that you're reading, the truth that God is revealing to you, uh, because we all need that. Okay.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: Um, I have to say, I'm usually not at a loss for words. But um, I I just feel like there aren't the right kind of words to say thank you. Um, this This was such a unique opportunity for me to take that time to be with my dad at home. And, um, most people wouldn't have that kind of opportunity, but it's only because of all of you who not only took on leadership roles and responsibilities to take things off of my plate, but even more importantly than that, as Claudia mentioned, the support, the care, the love, the understanding, um, it just goes beyond expressions of thankfulness. And so I feel like we're going to spend a long time continuing to each of you individually say thank you. But collectively, as a church, I think this is a big part of what being a part of a church is all about, coming alongside of each other, and that was not lost on us at all for one minute. So thank you very much for that. Um, Claudia,.
2: Yep. So I'm going to read from Psalm 63, our call to worship this morning. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, longs for you, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. Let's pray together. God, we do seek you earnestly, Father, and as we give this time to you, Lord, as we silence our thoughts and just prepare our hearts, God, to be with you, to worship you. Lord, I pray that you would just draw us uh, ever closer to your heart. In Jesus' name.
0: He was it white as snow. He was it white as snow. He was
1: debt has been paid. Amen? Amen. Take a moment to say good morning to somebody next to you.
0: Together we are bolder, braver, stronger.
1: Well, if we can uh, find our way back to our seats. Very good. <laughs> good
0: morning.
1: Again, it's good to see all of you. Uh, thanks for joining us here at Trinity Bible Church and a special welcome to. All of our friends that are joining us online, uh, remember you can always go to trinityallenwood.com. That's our website. And uh, you can view the service uh, live streamed there. If you miss it, it's always archived as well. You can click on that, it brings you to our YouTube page. So all the previous um, worship services are there. Uh, It's a good tool to use if you're away traveling, especially during the summer, or if you're home sick. There's a few people in our congregation, I know they've let me know that they're not feeling well today, and so we continue to pray for all those who may be sick, um, and uh, that reminds me, just make sure that you get signed up for our prayer email list. It's simply just, you send an email to prayer at trinityallenwood.com, that's on our website as well, so that you can receive all of our prayer requests and updates, and it's beautiful when you get to see those prayer requests answered, and how the Lord is doing that. And it's a great way to stay connected with the church family as well. You know, um, I like to remind us often, it's a good reminder for myself, that here at Trinity we have core values that we, um, that we hold and that we um, try to stay on mission with. They help us to stay on track with our uh, pursuit of being disciples of Jesus Christ. And those three words that we use very often, that are our core values are learn and grow and serve, because we learn the truth, and we grow in our faith, and then we serve, and we serve others. We serve each other, and then we serve the community and the world around us, and we have a vibrant uh, missions ministry, and we serve and support local and global missionaries and mission organizations that uh, are really focused on two things, building up leadership for the next generation of uh, missionaries, and reaching the marginalized, whether it is uh, our, our missionaries with Life and Messiah to the Orthodox Jewish community in Lakewood and Brooklyn and the area, or if it's uh, to uh, our prison ministry and, and uh, to um, the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission and to those that are marginalized, you know, and, and uh, God's heart is for those who are poor and suffering and struggling as well. And so um, that's a, a big part of who we are. So when we say we learn, we grow, and we serve, we keep repeating that, um, that beautiful uh, process. That's what we do. After we learn the truth, we let it sink deep into our hearts so that we can grow in maturity and faith. And then out of that growth comes uh, a heart of service. And so that's a big part of what we are about. Uh, just to remind you, we will uh, end our worship service today with communion. We like to do that on the first Sunday of every month, but we postponed it from last Sunday so that is today, and I'll give you instructions on how to do that later uh, after the message. So we end with communion, and then uh, just like the ancient church did, um, they had an agape feast when they got together, and they had a, a feast of, of love and celebration. And so after our service and after our communion, our time of remembrance of the Lord's sacrifice for us, that we will then be able to go and celebrate the resurrection of Christ and um, share our stories of testimony and encourage and uplift one another around food. Isn't that amazing how food is a great gatherer of people, right? And uh, how we love to do that. and, And that's good and that's okay. And it's biblical and we see that throughout scripture. And so please everyone stay Um, The church always provides the hot dogs and hamburgers, the drinks, the desserts, but you're always welcome on those Sundays that please bring aside so we can all share. But even if you didn't bring anything today, this is for everybody. We'll have plenty of food. And so please stay and enjoy some food and fellowship afterwards. I would just ask that after communion and when we conclude our service together, just have a little more time of fellowship and let our our team kind of get everything set up and and, uh, get the grill uh, going and bring the food in. All right. Um, and, uh, one more quick announcement, uh, before we get into God's word, um, next Sunday, uh, we'll have a guest speaker, Scott Schwartz, who is with Life and Messiah. Uh, one of our, uh, missionary partners will be here sharing. He's been here many times. He always has a, a, a good word for us. And so he has, um, uh, graciously agreed to come and bring the word. Claudia and I will be on vacation this coming week. Uh, and then, uh, as I had mentioned earlier, as all of you know, that, I had these three months of, um, because of you, uh, this leave of absence, and uh, and so starting the following week. So this week we'll be away on vacation and taking some uh, some time away for ourselves. But the following week I will be back uh, full time here to full capacity and all responsibilities. And so um, I'll reach out to all of you to remind you of that. And I look forward to catching up with each and every one of you. And um, then getting back on track to all the the plans that we have for the fall and for beyond. So again, thank you for all of that, and please be sure to be here next week to enjoy a, a message and a word from our brother Scott Schwartz. Um, today we will be in First Peter chapter four, um, and uh, you know we're 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 going through First and Second Peter. Of course, we started with First Peter and. We are now up to chapter 4, and um, you know the Word of God, as it was originally written, was written to be read aloud. I don't know how many of you, when you read the Bible, that maybe sometimes you read it out loud, or you listen to it on tape, and listen to me on tape, I just kind of dated myself, didn't I? You put your cassette tape right in, or your, your, right, your 8-track tape in, yeah, of course. Um, so you listen to it audio, you listen to an app, or you listen to it on um, you know, one of your favorite um, uh, stations, whatever, however it is that you listen to the Bible. But it's also good to hear somebody else read it live. And so this morning, the scriptures won't be up on the screen, um, our main passage, and then um, the, the scriptures that I have supporting it. So I would just ask that you do one of two things, that you would either Use your own Bible or the Bible that's uh, in front of you. We have some around if you'd like one. So it's always good as you listen to see it in front of you, or, or perhaps you just listen. And so it requires a little bit more attention and to, to, to kind of give that focus and attention. But to listen as I read those scriptures, the, the passage for today in First uh, Peter 4, it's verses 1 to 6, just those first six verses of First Peter 4 and then the supporting verses. Um, So, read along, just listen, Um, but uh, the Word of God is what um, the Holy Spirit uses to convict us, to encourage us, to change hearts and minds. And so my prayer always is that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be God's words, right, that would uplift us, and that would also challenge us this morning, amen? You know, I'm a big baseball fan. I don't know how many of you love baseball, but uh, and we were talking about my dad earlier. He and I are big Yankee fans, and Claudia as well. And we always seem to have the game on. And uh, my dad loves to just watch the, the the Yankee games. And I grew up just watching baseball all the time and playing it for a time, and just love the sport. And you know, as you uh, as you watch them play, especially this weekend, they're playing uh, the Red Sox, and you know, it's, it kind of heightens the the, um, the competitiveness a little bit, but Isn't it amazing to just think about how athletes at any level, but especially professional athletes, how they can stay focused and to stay on mission and on task for what they are to do. Just think about a baseball game for for a second and a batter comes to the plate and think about all of the things that are going through his head. All of the distractions, you have 50,000 fans in the stadium, most of whom Like you, if you're in the visiting stadium, they don't. They're booing, they're cheering, they're making noise. There's music playing through the stadium, right? Not only that, but of course you have the players who are chatting away with each other, calling signs, and then trying to distract you as well. Then you have the pitcher trying to distract you and deceive you and so you can't figure out what pitch they're throwing. You have all these things going on. Isn't it amazing? how they can just kind of drown it all out. They know it's there, but being able to focus on the task at hand. So there's this great story about Yogi Berra. You know, he's one of these famous Yankees. He had all these wonderful um, yogi-isms, right, all these funny sayings. And he played many years ago for the, the great Yankee teams, and he was a catcher. And So there's a story about in one World Series years ago, They were uh, playing against the Milwaukee Braves, was the team at the time, and of course their best player at that time was Hank Aaron, the great power hitter, the home run hitter. And so the story goes that Hank Aaron comes to the plate, and of course Yogi Berra, being the character that he is, he's trying to, um, you know, he's trying to uplift his team and encourage his team by chatting away, but also trying to distract the hitter. And so as Hank Aaron comes to the plate, he tells him, he says, you know, Hank, you're you're holding the bat all wrong. You're supposed to hold it so that the label, the words, are facing you so you can read it. So he's just trying to get in his head, you know how athletes will do, to, to distract them from their mission, their task. You always wonder, like, when batters come to the plate, what are they saying? Right? Are they talking to the catcher, to the umpire? What's going on? And so Yogi Berra is trying to distract Hank Aaron, and so Hank Aaron doesn't respond, doesn't say anything. And on the first pitch, he hits a home run, the left field seats. So as he's rounding the bases nice and slow, he comes home to home plate, and there's Yogi Berra standing there waiting. And Hank Aaron says, I didn't come up here to read. But see, he was staying on task. He was staying focused. And it's that chatter, right, that dig between athletes. But it always amazes me, right, on any level how, Athletes can stay focused with all those distractions because those things are such a complex, um, you know, a complex like ritual, a complex series of things that you have to do in any any sport. And it comes to the point where really, what it comes down to is inevitably practice. It comes down to going through the motions to rehearse it to practice it where it almost becomes second nature. Because there's no way whether you're going to hit a golf ball or a baseball that you can get up there and think through every single detail of what you have to do and be able to do it. It has to become muscle memory, so to speak. But it comes from rehearsal, from practice, from working and living through it. In our passage today... Peter kind of gives us the same kind of pep talk, the same kind of word. He's telling his readers and those listening to these letters read aloud in their congregation, he is reminding them, stay on mission, and here's how you do it. He's been telling them all along, reminding them who they are, their identity in Christ, And what their mission is. And now he gets more specific and says, this is how you are to do it. Almost like a coach would do to an athlete. Because even professional athletes still need a coach, don't they? To remind them sometimes of just the basics. You'll often hear a manager say that after maybe a losing streak from a team. And the reporters will say, how are you going to get your team back on track? And inevitably, what do they say? We're going to get back to basics. Right? Back to basics. Because you can often forget the truth and the reality of what you know. Of what you know. It's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? We all know that. And we all know those things in our lives that can be easy distractions for us. Keep those things in mind. You know what they are for you. But Peter here is saying, stay on target. Stay focused and stay on mission. And he gives seven things that I found in this passage. And we're going to briefly look at all seven. Seven things that he gives to help us remember. He's saying, remember these seven things because they will help you to stay on mission. And so what is our mission? He's telling us the readers of his letters, your mission is to live for Christ. Remember, we've talked about that, that personal life in Christ. But then he's also talking so much about that public life in Christ and how to live as a Christian at work or at school, or at home, or in the the public square. Wherever you are, remembering that you never stop being a Christian. You're not just a Christian for a couple of hours on Sunday. He's saying it is our identity, our worldview, right? Everything that we say and do is filtered through our new identity as believers in Jesus Christ. So he's reminding them of who they are, but then he's getting real practical, and we're grateful that Peter's doing that, right? And And he's telling them these words that I'm about to read to you to encourage them, to challenge them, to stay on mission. Mission as individual Christians living for Christ, standing firm in the faith, but then also together as the church. The church's mission to worship the Lord. The church's mission is to proclaim the gospel. The church's mission given to us by Christ at the end of Matthew, right? Matthew uh, 28, the great commission. It's Christ's mission to us. He's committing this to us. But it's also, in a sense, a commission because we are following in the mission of Christ and then the disciples doing this together with each other and with Christ. He said to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. Teaching them, what is the church's mission—to equip and to evangelize, to be disciples and to make disciples. And so Peter is saying, "Stay on mission," and here is how you can remember to do that. Seven things to remember. I'm going to read the passage for you, and then just briefly, we'll unpack all seven of these. First Peter four one through six. Either read it in your Bibles or listen as I read it. Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. For though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Peter says we are to stay on mission. Now as you listen to the other supporting verses from scripture, I think you'll see they help to shed some light on exactly what Peter is trying to get across today to his readers and to us this morning. And how we can help to put aside all the distractions, just like the batter coming to the plate. Of course, knowing that all these things are happening, you're not oblivious to it. But being able to drown it out and not let it distract us. Because do we not, at the end of the day, have an enemy? We call him Satan. The evil one who is out to deceive and distract. He wants to get us off mission. But Christ says, stay on mission. And here's how Peter tells us to do it. The stark reality is this. Jesus tells us these words in Matthew 24, 9. Listen to the words of Jesus. He never mints his words, does he? He says, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. In Matthew 24 and 25, he's talking about the end of the tribulation, I believe, but those types of times are here and will be getting worse even before, I believe, the Lord raptures us and takes us as his church back to heaven. And then things will get considerably worse, as you read in Revelation. But Jesus here is trying to warn his disciples and those alive at the time and us as well today by saying, you will be persecuted, and some of you even put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. So, how do we prepare for this? How should we be prepared to be treated unjustly by our co-workers, by our family, and by our friends? How do we stay on mission? First thing, he says, remember that Christ suffered. These are seven things to remember. He says first, remember that Christ suffered. Helping us to to stay focused. Remember that Christ suffered. In verse 1, he says, therefore, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. We simply need to remember Jesus. Now, that seems simple enough, doesn't it? But he's saying, remember the Lord Jesus, and especially that he suffered. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Is that amazing? To the writer of Hebrews, that's the way he puts it. That same principle that Peter is telling us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, because he is the one who endured the cross and the shame that came with it. Think about him. He endured such opposition from sinful men. The just being treated unjustly. And the writer of Hebrews says this, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Is it not so easy, church, to grow weary and to lose heart of any kind of suffering, but especially suffering for Christ? So the first thing we need to remember is Jesus himself. In the midst of our suffering, stay focused on Christ and not ourselves, because in the midst of any kind of suffering, we tend to become self-centered. Now, I've shared many times about my, my struggles with depression and anxiety, and the year 2000 began this dark journey. And I remember, as I was just coming out of that and, and um, kind of being able to at least see enough light and hear enough um, advice and love from those around me, To seek counseling. I remember a Christian counselor, one of the first things that she said was go serve, go help somebody. Take the focus off yourself. Because when you become depressed or anxious or in the midst of any kind of suffering, you become completely self absorbed and self focused. And so, one of the first and best things you can do is to take the focus off yourself and do that by simply helping. Somebody else. Maybe go help somebody move. Mow their lawn. Go serve in a a mission or a, a soup kitchen. Go and serve somebody. Help somebody else so that you're not, even if it's just for those few minutes, you're not focused on your own issues. See, the Lord suffered for us. We are told to love God and to love others. Remember Jesus' response when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love God, love others. See, there's no love of self in there. If you love God and love others, you do what God has called you to do, then others will be watching out for you. It's like in a marriage, we are to think of others before ourselves. So if you're thinking of your spouse before yourself, and they're thinking of you before themselves, then not only are you doing what God has called you to do, you're taking the focus off yourself, but your needs are being met because somebody is paying attention to you. We put our focus on others. We got to remember Christ's friends betrayed him in his greatest time of need. Remember the false witness against him, the lies. Remember that Jesus was mocked and beaten and abused. Remember that he was placed on a cross. Remember that even in the midst of all this church, what did Jesus say? Forgive them, Lord, for they do not know what they are doing. That's the point that we are to get to, but only as we remember Jesus Christ. Remember that he entrusted himself to the Father. Luke 23, 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. So in the midst of suffering for righteousness' sake, we are to remember the Lord and his suffering. But secondly, we are to remember Christ's attitude. In 1 Peter 4, still in verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm yourselves with what? The same attitude of Christ, what was Christ's attitude? An attitude of humility, an attitude of sacrifice. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I'd like to read this to you. I think the, the, the classic passage from the New Testament on Christ's humility and Paul writing in this letter about how we are to emulate that attitude of Christ in humility. by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says it there, Peter says it in our passage today, Remember not only that Christ suffered, but have the same attitude. Christ's attitude was one of humility and willingness to sacrifice. Remember in the darkest depths of his despair in the garden, he said, Father, if this cup can just pass by me, but not my will, your will be done. That is to be our attitude. We are even supposed to be willing to die. Mark ten forty five. for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Peter's um, words here and his thing about arming himself, it's kind of like an athlete arming himself preparing. It's kind of like a soldier arming himself preparing. How often do you see and? and hear about soldiers, maybe we see it in the movies, about being tasked with a mission, and they're told by their commanding officers to stay on mission no matter what. No matter what. Be willing to die for your mission. We know spiritually, sometimes it may come to be willing to physically die. Of course it has happened. Most likely, what we will face is that need to be willing to die to self. We're called to die to self. Are you willing, spiritually speaking, to die to self? That is the attitude for believers. This will help us to not compromise with the world in order to avoid suffering and abuse. That's our initial uh, uh, human reaction, isn't it? We want to avoid suffering and abuse, and so we will compromise. But there's no compromise in Christ. In fact, in, in fact, Christ demanded this of all who would come and follow him. Luke 14, 26 to 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot, cannot be my disciple. <clears throat> Die to self and be humble. But number three, we are to remember that we have been delivered from sin. Remember that Christ suffered. Remember the attitude of Christ. And also, Peter says, to remember we have been rescued. Should that not put us in the right frame of mind to avoid distractions? In verses 1 and 2, again, Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. And then he says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. See, being rescued in Christ, being delivered from sin, means that Christ defeated the power of sin in our lives. We say it this way, that in salvation in Christ, The penalty for sin has been paid by Christ. Because we don't have to pay that penalty any longer. We are eternally secure. But not only the penalty of sin, the power of sin has been overcome by Christ's death on the cross. Meaning we no longer have to say yes to sin. Do we sin? Yes, because we're not yet perfect. Because the presence of sin has not been yet eradicated until our glorification when Christ comes back for us. But yet, we now have the power, the strength, and the ability to say no to sin, to say no to those distractions that would get us off mission. We have that power and ability that Christ has put in us in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the power of God's Word. See, we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to God, Paul tells us. Our position has been changed completely. We no longer have to say yes to sin. We have the ability and the power to resist it because we have died to sin along with Christ. Romans 6, 4 through 6, Paul says it this way. We were therefore buried with him through baptism, that's spiritual baptism, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See? It's all being united in Christ. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection, which means that we are called and lifted to life to live a new life in him. He continues, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Boy, Paul has a way with words, doesn't he? And spirit baptism, which is what happens at salvation, the believer is united with Christ's body in his death. Yes, we still sin, but we're no longer a slave to sin. We are united with Christ in his death. We have died to sin. We are now alive to Christ. Romans 6.11, again, Paul says it this way. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, plain and simple. As we sang earlier in our songs of worship, our debt has been paid. 1 Corinthians 6, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Just think of it this way. Before we move on to number four, Paul is saying it, you are not your own. When you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, For the salvation of your sin believing in him and him alone you are no longer your own See that you have believed that he has done this for you and so therefore you don't really have that right to live for yourself you have a new master now you willingly accept christ as your head as your master we all do and therefore he owns us in that sense See, we are slaves no longer to sin, but to God, willingly. And so Paul says that you were bought at a price, so you're no longer your own. So honor God with your body. We must now live for the will of God, not our own will. Number four, we are to remember, to help us stay focused and stay on mission, to not let the world influence, but we should influence the world. Now listen. This has always happened throughout church history, and we see it happening more and more, unfortunately. But the church, capital C, the universal body of believers, all true believers around the world, more and more is allowing the world and the world's ways, which are antithetical to Scripture, the ways of our enemy, the world's ways, the church is allowing the world's ways to influence it to influence her, the church, rather than the other way around. God sent out his disciples on that great commission. said, go and make disciples of all the world, baptizing them and teaching them. He's saying, go be an influence for me, one heart, one person at a time. He didn't tell us to go change culture, change governments. That will happen one person at a time as individual lives are changed. But then together as the church... The body of Christ, our mission is to represent Christ, to be equipped together to do the work, and then to evangelize, to go influence the world by preaching the gospel. But see, the more that we let the world and its ways influence us, the less effective we will be in our witness. So Peter is about to tell us, remember... Don't let the world influence you. You influence the world. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to these newer believers who are sort of scattered, he tells us in chapter 1. throughout this area, it was kind of like southern Turkey that we know it now, and these churches and small house groups, and they were being persecuted. They were being mocked and made fun of. And they were like, Peter, how do we do this? So Peter's encouraging them. But he says, remember all these things. And he says, remember, don't let them influence you. You influence them. Boy, it's so much harder to do, isn't it? That's a call to us, church. You know what those things are that are easily influencing you. Peter says it. Paul says it. Jesus says it. Stay on mission for me. Yes, just like the batter at the plate, we know all these things are out there. All these, these distractions, the certain things that really can distract us and influence, we know they're there. We can't deny their existence and their power, right? How powerful they are to influence us, but yet we are to drown it out. Drown out those voices by the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So he says, don't let the world influence us, but we should influence the world. So he says in verses 3 and 4 of our passage, look at the way he says it. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he lists some of those things. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. To respect with those things, they're surprised when you don't join them. And they malign you. You know what he's saying here, almost like with a smirk. He's saying, "You've done enough of that." He's saying, "You've had enough time in the past of living for yourself. You're done with that. Don't resurrect that in your life." He's saying, "You're new. Why do you want to live in the old?" can't put new wine in old wine skins," it says elsewhere. So Peter's just kind of being real practical and forthright with them. He says, "The time in the past, that's enough. That, that's, that's sufficient.) <laughs> Don't relive it. Don't glory in it. We may want to go back there because of how it felt, how it made us feel. He says that's that's enough. You're going forward. Elsewhere Jesus says, those who put their hand to the plow and look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. Because it's that mindset, that attitude. Stay on mission and stay focused says, don't live in the past or the old ways. Romans 12, too, a popular passage many of us know by heart. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the word of God, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We're transformed daily. It's, it's an ongoing transformation. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. No, you had enough time of that, Peter said. You probably got the pictures in your albums to prove it, don't you? <laughs> he says in Matthew six twenty four, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Last one, Titus 2, 11 to 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Here's what it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's Titus two eleven 11 through 12. Stay on mission. Number five, a few more and we're done. Remember that suffering is to be expected. He says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them. In the same flood of debauchery. Don't you love those words? This, that's the ESV version. Flood of debauchery. And they malign you. Peter's been talking about that so much in these past three chapters. That we should expect it. So you know what? Manage your expectations. We are to expect the suffering for righteousness. I'll read one passage that says, John uh, John three nineteen to 21. We know John three sixteen, A few verses later, John three nineteen to 21. Jesus said, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Why, deep down, those who are not yet believers, they don't like the light of truth. They don't like the light of truth. Truth is always under attack. So we must expect to be maligned. Expect the suffering. Christ was not surprised by his suffering. He even predicted it. Two last ones. We are to remember that God will judge. And this may be a real help to you more than any of the others. (laughs) 1 Peter 4, 5, they will, now listen, church, Peter says they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Paul says in Romans 12, don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. Boy, don't we want to be the judge, (laughs) Don't we want to judge others in their wrongdoing? Peter's saying, remember, if nothing else, remember these things to stay on mission. God will judge those who persecute us. Now, we shouldn't revel in that and glory in that or want it, but we know yet it's true. So it's like God saying, leave that to me. Leave the judging to me. You focus on the mission I've given you. Yeah, but God, what about those? No, God says, I'll take care of them. But what about my friend, my coworker? No, God says, I will take care of them. Pray for them. Pray for your enemies, Jesus says. Have mercy on them. Finally, we stay on mission by remembering to preach the gospel. It's beautiful that he left it here. The last thing he reminds us, he says in verse 6, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that through judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Preached. The gospel was preached, even to those maybe who have been martyred. Or perhaps he's talking about those who never accepted, but yet the gospel was preached. Peter starts off his letter in chapter 1, Comforting the believers that they have been elected, they have been selected, they have been chosen by God for salvation. As believers, we know we are set apart for Him. We have a new birth, a new inheritance, He reminded us. And it is the gospel that allows every believer to take up our cross and to die for Christ. What is that gospel? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, simply tells us. Perhaps you're here, you've never even heard this before. It says in John 3.16, as he tells us elsewhere, that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. Boy, Pastor Keith, that sounds too simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that who believes believe in him will not die but have everlasting life. Are you unsure about your eternal destiny? Over and over the scriptures tell us when it comes to salvation, how to be rescued, it says believe. It might use the word faith or trust. It means the same thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved because when you believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation, you are believing that he is who he says he is that promised Messiah, God himself, and that he did what he said he was going to do, die on the cross and come back to life, defeating death and being that accepted payment. Our debt has been paid. Accepted payment by God the Father. If we believe that he is who he says he is and that he did what he came to do, the Bible says that you are saved. When you believe it, And you believe that he did it for you and your personal sin your sin nature that you make it personal and you realize it's not just an abstract reality but he did it and he did it for you when you believe in that the bible says you are saved that's the gospel that was preached and peter says it is because of the gospel that we can stay focused on mission. So as you deal with distractions, come back to Jesus, his suffering, his attitude, his mindset, his willingness to die. We come back to the gospel of grace. As we now conclude our time in our service with what we call communion, the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table, I'd like you to, to reflect. To take some time, quiet reflection, on the word of God that you heard this morning. Remembering that Peter told us that in order to stay on mission, we should focus on Jesus. What does that mean to you? What part of the gospel truth the teachings of Jesus Christ have you forgotten? What is your relationship like with the Lord Jesus? Take some time. That's what this is for. A reflection. For Paul says in his word that anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner brings con- condemnation on himself. Which means simply don't do it for the wrong reasons or do it when you have a hardened heart towards somebody else or even to God. So take this time now as you hear the music played, and we'll take a minute or two, just a a reflection between you and the Lord. Perhaps you need to ask God for forgiveness. Perhaps you realize that there's somebody in your life that you need to ask forgiveness of. Take time in your heart of hearts between you and God. And after some time, whenever you're ready and the Spirit leads, you can get up and either come up to the table up front or there's one in the back by the side doors and take a cup and a piece of bread and return to your seat. And we've all done that. Then I'll lead us in the taking of the bread and the cup together. But take your time, church. Reflect on the Lord. that night before he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it, he passed it around, told his disciples that bread represented his body, which was given to them and given to us, and that we should take and eat in remembrance of him. They didn't yet know all that it meant. But a few short hours later, they would. We know what it means. Let's take and eat together in remembrance of the Lord's sacrifice for us. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup and he told them, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim his death. You know that to be true. He was telling his disciples that as they drank from that cup, that it represented something new for them, a new covenant, Jesus said. A new covenant based on the blood that he was about to shed for them and for us. So together, church, in remembrance of his shed blood, let's take and drink together.
0: Let's stand together.
1: <clears throat> and Jesus says that we are now his, one in Christ, and his death and his resurrection. Paul says it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in us. Amen. Let us remember these things from God's word today. and Let's pray together for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Father God, we stand here before you, desiring to remember your sacrifice, remember your humility, To remember your life given for ours. To remember that we are to arm ourselves with that same attitude of humility. That if we are to stay on mission for you, Lord Jesus, that we are to remember the gospel. Lord God, may we not only proclaim it with our lips, but live it out with our lives before each other and before the waiting world. And Lord God, now as we just enjoy a continued time of fellowship, may we be encouraged and encourage and bless others with a word of testimony about how you are working in our lives. God, we need it. We truly need it if we are to continue on. So Father God, help us to stay focused and stay focused on you, even as we see you in our brothers and sisters. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, praise the Lord. Let's give our setup team a few minutes to to bring the lunch out and then enjoy a sweet time of fellowship.